Hello, and welcome to another episode of What's on the Pile. I'm Nathan Besner, and joining me is Shane Lee. What's up? Jane Belcastro. Hi, hi. Matt Wagner. Dubbed into Italian. And Jenner. <laughs> turning Italian. I think I'm turning Italian. I really think so. <laughs> 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 you you kind of stole my thunder there, Matt. Uh, uh-huh. I, I, I'd been planning to uh, to say that uh, since uh, since I saw Barbarian a couple of days ago. Anyway, <laughs> uh, this week we have a double feature of films directed by Dario Argento aficionado Peter Strickland. Uh, first up is Barbarian Sound Studio, a surrealist film starring that guy Toby Jones, who plays a sound en- engineer working on what sounds like a vile Italian horror film. As he becomes more and more entrenched in the project, his mental health and moral compass begin to erode. Uh, Following that is In Fabric, the magical tale of Marianne Jean-Baptiste trying to find a date, mannequin cunnilingus, and a haunted dress. Uh, A haunted dress that kills people. So, (laughs) but we're going to go with Barbarian Sound Studio first. Uh, Who had this on their pile? I certainly did. I I did. I'd heard of this film. So, back when I went to a lot of film festivals, I somehow saw something that was adjacent to this somehow and i can't remember what it was and i looked through uh strickland's filmography didn't recognize anything so i have no idea but i was somehow familiar with this movie just hadn't seen it before uh i've been kind of a, a big booster of this film for a while now trying to get people to see it and uh screened it for movie night back in the day as well so uh to perhaps a mixed audience review a <laughs> mixed audience reception <laughs> but uh they they knew what they were walking into. Yeah, I was going to say one of the common reactions uh, to this film is going to be, "What the fuck was that? Was that even yeah. a horror movie?" And I, for, <laughs> for and for the record, I don't know if I can actually call this a horror movie or not. But uh, no, uh, Jane and I actually saw it. I guess when it was relatively new. Uh, well, no, it's 2012, right? We started seeing each other in 2013. Yeah, so, uh, it, so it was. It was. We fair- saw it at our last apartment. Uh, no, I think we actually saw this at uh, at uh, your old place. Uh, I think. I don't think so. I don't, the point is, it's been a so. while. And when we saw it, uh, we saw it in the version that uh, apparently was on the uh, uh, British uh, DVD uh, that had no subtitles for anything, which hmm. was right. You know, uh, needless to say, a little bit surreal, but uh, particularly, I think, uh, uh, kind of affected the end of the movie. So uh, it, w- it was a worth... I I, mean, I, I finally got a legit copy a long time ago. I just hadn't gotten around to seeing it again. Uh, was very, with, with very... With Italian subtitles yes, this time. With subtitles oh, you, uh, as an option all the way around. So this I, I, was... I, I, uh, there's something I want to say. I can't believe... That, I, I might have mentioned this before. I can't believe Amazon hasn't figured out this problem yet. So I watched this on Amazon. Why do we have soft subs over hard subs? Why yes. do they overlap right on top? Criterion oh. Channel does the same thing. So this it's is... not just Amazon. I had to turn off subtitles because they kept covering up the Italian subtitles. And at first I was like, okay, maybe it's just a few few scenes in Italian. I'll yep. just ignore those. But then I'm like, nope. Those this whole movie is going to be... Over and over yeah. and over. So I, you, I had you these... can't... Yeah, you can't watch this movie with subtitles on. You just can't. Yeah. You're going to miss 50% of the dialogue. I, I had... Like, the... I think... It worked on the Blu-ray. I had, oh, the, yeah, same, it, it I had, I had the same problem as Shane uh, watching this film. I always watch with uh, closed captioning because my hearing's a little off, thanks to years of sound engineering, funnily enough. Um, <laughs> Rock concerts here. Yeah, so. there you go. <laughs> Age. 
but <laughs> but yeah, when, thanks when, a lot. I was <laughs> speaking for myself on that one, love. When when Amazon puts speaking Italian over the Italian subtitles, it's a little Isn't ridiculous. It really, <laughs> it was hard for me to watch this film, uh, just because I couldn't understand some of what they were saying, uh, and I didn't have the subtitles to do it because I wanted to see what the Italian subtitles were. So in I, case you had, in case you needed another reason to want to slap the taste out of Bezos' mouth. <laughs> well, I mean, Cr Criterion Channel does the same thing. Netflix puts subs on top when there's credits at the bottom, which seems like an easy solution. I, I don't know why they haven't figured this out over at Amazon and Criterion. Well, I mean, recall that at one point Netflix could put their source code in the MoMA, uh, <laughs> deserve it, deservedly so. So, yeah, <laughs> because it is modern art, and, and everybody else has just been playing catch up ever since. But uh, in any event. Uh, the film I don't know, itself. A, a certain a certain measure of clanging disorientation may qualify as feature rather than bug in this film. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. I, I I have go ahead. I I didn't get the the joke about the horses uh, about him thinking it was a horse movie, but that be just being part of the title, the equestrian part. I mm -hmm. didn't get that joke at all uh, until after I had seen the movie and read up about it. Yeah, I got that from the Wikipedia, was and joke? I was like, oh. God, I'm an idiot. I guess, I mean, Wait. I guess. Uh, I mean, are, is this a reference? To, is this a reference to the Argento animal cycle? Or no, no. The uh, the well, it's, the equestrian vortex is probably a reference. But the joke yeah. is, Gilderoy had mostly uh, worked on nature films. He thought he was going to Italy to edit oh, yeah. a, to, oh, yeah. to do work on a film about horses. Yeah. yeah oh, okay. That, See, that's yeah, what I, I thought that. the whole time. Thank you, so, Wikipedia. Yeah. yeah, I didn't get that until I read Wikipedia because uh, I did not hear what they were saying for for a lot of it. In my case, it was, I just didn't get it because I'm an idiot. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, one of the things that I love about this film is I've seen it about four times now, and for the life of me, I can never remember how it ends because. It goes into several of these sort of delirious hallucinatory states, and I'm always certain that oh, it it just sort of dissolved. Like there's an actual burn through of the film at one point. I'm like, oh right, that's how it ends. No, no, it's not. It keeps going from there, and then we come back to you know supposed reality. Except now everyone's speaking in Italian, and including Toby Jones, into, including Toby Jones. And it struck me this time around that I think the whole film might just be about the hell of post-production. Um, that tracks, because this is my least favorite part of filmmaking, is the, <laughs> the sound design in post. I, I hate it. And I, I like this movie a lot, but this movie reminded me why I hate it. And they weren't even doing anything digital. They were doing everything analog, which is even worse. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, a lot, of, a lot of this movie is weapons-grade analog audio tech porn. Uh, mm -hmm. it, the bit it, where he's strung the uh, he's strung the magnetic tape out around different objects in the room to get the distortion like a on the film, cup. like a coffee <laughs> cup. I I will say I had, I had a little bit of a different take on what was going on uh, in the movie itself uh, and the grand scheme, uh, which was I really felt like it was a journey uh, watching a guy who took a job he didn't quite understand and realizing that it may be not only outside of his wheelhouse, but outside of his comfort zone, his moral comfort mm -hmm. zone, but continuing to work on the project anyway, either because he's too nice or because he needs the money. 
Um, I've been on a lot of projects uh, where I've done it for the money and done movies that uh, worked on movies that I did not agree with. Like the the movie where uh, there's <laughs> you remember loving the bad man. Oh, the one with Stephen Baldwin. Yes, yes, that. Yes. That that's the movie you worked on that I didn't bother to pick up because right. I haven't found it because I haven't found it at the Dollar Tree yet. I made a trailer for that movie. It um it's about a woman who is raped and forgives her rapist because of mm. God. And uh, no. yeah, yeah. And I worked on this film because I needed the money, but I felt like shit the whole time I was doing it. I just felt awful. And I wonder if uh, there's a little bit of that in the Gilderoy character as well. I, I don't think there's a little bit of that. I think there's a lot of that. I think that's one of the central points of the film. And I think it comes home um, in the whole bit with his letters back home about the Chaffinches. And he's because, to a large degree, it feels like his culpability in working on this film that is so horrific and so awful and doing his, you know, trying to do his best work on this genuinely vile film is reaching back across you know several countries home to start affecting his home life and that's how it how they're sort of externalizing the way it's injuring him and he's be he is becoming sort of culpable in the material that he's working on and that's why the chaffinches which were so charming in the first letters all of a sudden are beheaded and destroyed by magpies yeah yeah the parents are screaming and the parents are literally screaming, yeah. yeah that, that, was, that, that was a horrifying story. Yeah, that was that mm-hmm. was possibly the most, most upsetting part of the movie. Um, I mean, at the same time, I will freely allow that the movie... Uh, 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 worth noting for our audience, uh, uh, if, if you haven't actually seen this movie, we never see any of the movie that he's working on except for the opening credits. Right. Uh, which, which are actually, all surreal. Which are actually a pretty fascinating set of opening credits in their in their own right. I will have to freely allow that I am the sort of person who would absolutely, in all likelihood, dig the movie that he was actually working on. I think yeah. most. I think most of us are. That means no. I'd it, avoid no, it. I would avoid not, it. Not me. A like hot poker plague. to the vagina. A hot poker yeah. to the vagina. No. That's enough for me to skip a movie. Fair enough. Uh, I don't know. It, it, it sounds kind of like, sort of like they're playing like a cross between something on the order of uh, Suspiria, along with uh, one of the sort of haunted girls schools movies that were a thing in, uh, in Italy in the 70s and 80s, but also leaning into some of the more torture aspects of stuff like Mark of the Devil, um, which weirdly enough was actually a lot more of a German thing than an Italian thing. Uh, but It actually, it sounded quite a bit from some of the description of scenes, it sounded a bit more like the blind dead to me. Little bit of that going there through as the, well. They're going through a poultry tunnel. Again, we <laughs> yeah, never see these multiple things. Times. <laughs> we, well, I, we never I, see these things, but apparently all the witch corpses are piled up in a poultry tunnel, whatever that might be. Well, I'm wondering if it just didn't get translated properly. No, I think awesome. that that seems pretty deliberate. Uh, <laughs> Strict, Strickland, Strickland uh, the, the director here, has a lot of playfulness kind of running under the hood. It's a lot more overt in um, uh, his, uh, his later pictures, uh, The Duke of Burgundy, but especially in Fabric, of course, which we're, we're going to talk along uh, later. There is a lot of deadpan surrealist humor uh, you know, running along with this thing. Um, I don't know. Like, like, like I say, this is uh, a... a 
a fascinating movie. I am I will freely allow I am not sure I entirely get it. I don't know quite what the message is supposed to be, but at the same time I find it interesting that uh, this movie plays a little bit more like an homage, not so much to uh, uh, to Argento as to Fulci, or at least in, mm. in the movie that uh, in the movie that they're uh, making. Ful- uh, Fulci is such a visual director; it's kind of hard to tell that without actually seeing some of the film. But yeah, maybe, I, I see your point. Maybe a bit of Lamberto Bava in there as well. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think a but, little bit uh, of everybody is in there. I mean, a little uh, bit of everybody in there. Of course, uh, his uh, subsequent film after this, The Duke of Burgundy, was uh, uh, he was on record that it was a Jess Franco homage, but also I think there was a fair chunk of Valerian Borovchik in there as well. I didn't uh, see Jess Franco in that at all, but I I guess I haven't seen that much Jess Franco. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Amusingly more acclaimed than all Jess Franco movies combined. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> And that's over 250 pictures. And then, of course, uh, yeah, in fabric. Well, we'll get back to in fabric. But uh, right. I don't know, like I say, this is uh, th- th- this is a, si- a film from someone with our vocabulary. Uh, and, that is true. Uh, that is definitely a- true. Uh, I just I have to admit something. Um, I did not particularly like this film. I, okay. I Me did too. It. Raising my hand. Okay. It. Okay. Good. Um, <laughs> I'm yeah, not alone. This is my third time to watch it. Well, second and a half. Uh, the first first time, uh, I thought that I'd fallen asleep during it <clears throat> because, like Wagner, uh, I didn't remember the end. <laughs> so I was like, I must have fallen asleep. And so we started to watch it on uh, Saturday, and I conked. I mean, I was just out, but I was tired anyway. And then I decided I'd watch it this afternoon. And I started dozing off, but I did finish it. I mean, well, I was well. Like, it's definitely uh, a slow burn, and um, it is. Uh, yeah, it's definitely languid, as you said, but it also is just so vile, and that he's so trapped there. I don't. I think he's living in the studio. I don't. Yeah, I don't well, think the, the, it the, takes the, place anywhere no, no. else. No, no, no he, it, he goes back to. Uh, he has like he, an apartment or something. The, the right, way it's back. No, because he opens the door and it's. There, that was right? a that was a that, that, that's, that was a hallucination. I thought it was an apartment wait, wait. in the building, wasn't okay. it? Okay, that's I, a, was, I know the, that that was part of at at the end, like his nightmare or the dream mm-hmm. sequence. But um, I thought it happened a couple of times. I think it was like a rental cottage. Yeah, the, the way it's edited, it makes it seem like it's all one continuous location. It's yeah. I think it's yeah. purposely put together and, that way to make it feel like he's living there, but he definitely mm-hmm. has his own living space. It's just it'll he'll be doing something at work. And then there'll be like a match cut to something he's doing at home. And, so and apparently, there, like and apparently there. there actually is a stage adaptation of this, which I would be very curious <laughs> to give a look. Of, of course. It's fairly easy to do, I guess, when you think about it. One, one place. I, I no, think no. my ultimate issue is that I, I was bored for a lot of this movie. Uh, I, yeah. I did not. I, I, I understood once the surrealism came into play. Like really heavily, I got. I understood what they were going for. I understood what kind of movie this was, but it didn't hit for me. It it was, uh, I don't, I don't know. There was something off about it in that it felt almost like they were using surrealism as a crutch, uh, in order to tell a story that wasn't quite there to begin with. There, there's not a lot of plot. It's more like an excuse to uh, make references to a lot of Italian horror that uh, he obviously knows quite a bit about. And uh, I'm not sure that this movie actually had a purpose or a point beyond that. Well, I, I have to disagree on that particular. Um, the, 
I'm not. I I don't quite have all my thoughts together on this, so feel free to jump in if you if you prefer. Okay. Um, I can absolutely see where you're coming from. The first time I watched the film, the entire time going through, I'm like, oh, okay, now the horror part is start. No, 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 it's not. No, okay. And That's back, what I was doing too. Back in the, the editing time. booth. <laughs> yeah, we're back in the editing booth, and really toxic relationships between all of the voice actors and the oh oh wait something's that uh, nope nope not again and it got all the way through it and it got to the end and i am i am actively fascinated by films i don't understand and i actually re i will repeatedly go back to movies i can't figure out because i can't figure them out and this this i count as one of them largely because of that the reason I categorize this as a horror movie is because of Gilderoy's perspective in the whole thing. Especially with what Jen was saying about him being trapped, and it has these trappings going on around it, and they are referencing the Italian horror movies. But I think, Nate, you actually hit on the point of the story. It doesn't have so much of a storyline as much as it is a contemplation of a person trapped in this particular environment and how it affects him and how he, you know, every effort he has is futile in trying to get out, not from a physical, like you're locked in the building with a killer aspect, but from a first, a large part of his being trapped, I think just has to be put down to him being a very polite and reserved English man who doesn't want to, doesn't want to cause anybody any trouble and even after that starts wearing away he gets stuck in this environment and it starts eating away at him and they keep saying how you know you polite englishmen you don't know how to live your life and in some degree it's also a a polite english gentleman losing his innocence at the age of 45 <laughs> because you you get the feeling this this guy most of the sound editing he does is little nature documentaries because that's what he knows, and he lives at home with his mother and his sound equipment. And now he's thrown into this world of this absolutely vile... The main villain, what was his actual position? Is he the producer? He's the producer. Yeah. Yeah. He was the producer. San so he... Santini? Not, not, not no, Santini. Uh, Francesco. Francesco. Francesco, Francesco, yeah. Francesco, yes. Yeah. Uh, this absolutely vile individual who abuses his actor's and um, just wants everyone to do their damn job, whatever your excuse may be. And it, it's sort of it's sort of a moving from his little shed out in the back of his house in an idyllic countryside into the real world of filmmaking, quote unquote, and discovering it being an absolutely vile mess of people. Yeah, not yeah, not... but he became vile himself. I mean, and that's the way what that does to that you. girl in the. In the uh, sound booth. I mean, exactly. he used sound. And that was the was point of the story. That was the point of the story. Her. That's what that being in that environment does to this poor, innocent Gilderoy character. He As isn't a, a fact, hero yeah, at the end of it. Yeah, I mean, and no, the, he and isn't. And I want to actually point out the spider. Sorry, babe. <laughs> I wanted yeah. to point out the spider. At first, he finds it and he's playing with it, and he gently takes it outside and goes. Pfft. Blows, blows it off his hands. Mm -hmm. The next, he's picking it up in a piece of paper, kind of holding it away from himself, and he, you know, kind of shoves it out the window and blows on the paper to make sure it's gone. Sees it a third time, he looks at it, and then he just walks away, just it's, wanders off from it. it like he's it's the like, chaffinches. No saving this. Yeah, there's no yeah. saving this. It's I, the I, I, yeah, there's it's nothing the I can do. I mean, not. 
Not for Nothing is the movie usually characterized as a psychological thriller as opposed to a horror movie per se. It, I, I would call it a horror movie based purely on tone, but at the same time, I find it interesting that if this movie didn't have audio, it would be G-rated. Um, <laughs> uh, or PG at worst. Uh, it's, well, there's it, all that it, violence to vegetables. Well, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like slapping around snuff the film. melons. The watermelon foley scene, I think I might have mentioned this on this podcast before. It re- reminded me of a sketch by this sketch group called Human Giant, which Aziz Ansari used to be part of. Mm-hmm. There was a sketch where on screen someone's cutting a head of cabbage and the foley guys backstage are stabbing a guy to get the sound. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a brilliant sketch. It was a whole sketch with all these different scenes of them doing this. And people, the poor people backstage just getting mauled to create all these innocent sounds <laughs> see uh, yeah i i thought this movie was going in a very different direction than it ultimately did i i thought that it was going somewhere where it was going to i i don't know ultimately become horror or surrealist horror or something where the film takes over and it ingests him essentially and that happens to a certain extent but nowhere near what I thought it was going to be. It was a much more subdued film than I expected. Hmm. That's fair. I mean, it was uh, it was Strickland's uh, second feature, but it still has a definite air of you know there is an aspect of calling card about it. Uh, like I say, it's the only horror movie that I've ever seen that is that is not a horror movie. I mean, period. Uh, and at the same time, uh, it's uh, a, a movie about a visual medium that's all audio. Uh, it, it's it's one of those things where you you kind of kind of almost almost imagine this is the technique that uh, Strickland thinking this is the technique I want to undertake I want a movie about X that uh, that doesn't use the trappings of X and then sort of reverse engineering how to construct the story from that and it ends up being this you know weird disturbing little character study uh, I don't I still I still find it a fascinating movie I don't absolutely adore it. Uh, but I, I do like it a lot. I, I, again, as with, uh, with Matt, I, I like the enigma of it. I'm not sure I get it. Then again, I'm not sure I'm supposed to get it. Um, I, I, I am comfortable with a certain measure of ambiguity. As, I'm uh, say, I think everybody gets what they want, want and I got a nap. <laughs> I, 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 I did like, like the film in general. I actually thought the surrealism kind of undercut the point a little bit. Like we're seeing this guy descend into madness and I, I don't know the the having having the movie finally be confusing in the last act. I feel like almost made me lose focus on what this guy was going through. It was it was it was more like it was almost distracting in a way. Uh, and little details so, like his his flight having never existed, or that maybe that was just the production company screwing with him. But details like that to make it seem like he had never actually flown there or whatever. You know, I, I found that more distracting than I guess. Uh, intriguing. Might be juggling a few too many plates at the same time. Uh, it's... I, I I liked it, but I I I like little details like that out of nowhere that I can't explain. So <laughs> kind of a unique I, case there. And also, I think I I, I like the aspect, and this is uh, uh, kind of consistent through a lot of Strickland's uh, work, as as we'll get to later. Making you know a serious kind of aspect of horror out of little microaggressions. You know, every everybody getting way too up in your shit. Uh, no, that's that's horrifying, and, uh, and and this movie gets that. Yeah, it's it's sort of interesting that this 
one of the things that brought this movie to my attention was it was featured pretty pretty upfront in an issue of Rue Morgue, which is a horror movie magazine, and was absolutely singing its praises. And as as Jenner puts it, it's it's not exactly a horror movie. It's just it's kind of homeless. It's it, it's a horror it's a horror movie tonally, but if you're to uh, referring directly to the text of the movie, except for the surrealist stuff, it 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 doesn't fit the boxes of a horror movie. Um, it it's a little bit surrealist. It's uh, it, it's not supernatural in any way, except in the movie inside the movie. Uh, it doesn't have any actual violence uh, in it. Well, it has a reference uh, to uh, sexual to assault. Uh, sexual assault. Yeah. Uh, we, uh, we do see sort of a scene. I mean, it's sort of a almost like a dream sequence. We see a stabbing about to happen, and then we hear, we see them doing foley for it. But mm-hmm. it's it's not really clear who's who's in that scene. I mean, it looks like it's Gilderoy. Yeah, so it's it's definitely horror adjacent, but uh, uh, what else it's adjacent to, I'll be damned if I can figure out. <laughs> I think one thing we can, I hope we can all agree on, though, is that Toby Jones was absolutely excellent in it. Oh, oh, oh it's absolutely. so yeah. good. It's so yeah. nice to see him uh, not in a that guy part. Like, uh, wasn't he recently in, uh, God, I want to say he was in one of the new Jurassic Park movies. He's uh, in the Marvel movies as a minor yeah, character. Yeah, he's Ar- Armin Scholler, I think. Arnim Zola. Zola, that's it. Basically, yeah. Russia's answer to or, Max Headroom. Well, no, and he was the second guy. scientist. Yeah, he's not he's Russian. He's, he is he's Swiss. German. <laughs> and unfortunately for, him, unfortunately for him, he was the second guy to play Truman Capote recently, or somewhat recently, yeah. uh, right behind the Oscar-winning performance, right? Yeah. yeah. Hoffman won the Oscar for that? Hoffman won the Oscar for that, yeah. What, what, was, the other, what was the other film? Oh, what was it called? I never saw it. Oh. It wasn't yeah. called Capote. Was... Capote was the Hoffman one. I forget the other. Damn it. But it came out, like, right after. It was, like, Deep Impact and Armageddon, like, same yeah. plot coming out twice or something. So, it's funny. Somehow, everybody wanted to make a Capote movie that year. Uh Toby and Jones I, looks so much more like Capote than uh, yeah, he, he <laughs> really he he really does. Um, that no, but uh, it's it's nice to see Toby Jones with a lead, and wh- whatever we may think of the movie as a whole, his performance never fails to convince. I mean, realistically, I can uh, you could say that about basically everything the guy uh, the guy does, but uh, he he gets an absolute showcase in this. Was he? In- yeah, he was great. Was he in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy? I yes. believe so. Yes. Yeah. yeah seems thought, seems like the kind of movie he would be in. Oh, the movie yeah. was called Infamous. The the, the ah, that was movie, ah. which I never saw. No. Love Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. I uh, mm-hmm. can't wait to see the 4K that's coming out pretty soon. <laughs> you know, this movie really did make me appreciate the lengths Italians will go to uh, to do ADR. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I've I never mean... done ADR myself. Is that what it's like? Is it that dehumanizing and that? Separated from the actual from acting and performing. Well, uh, I'm, I'm assuming it's. A, Go ahead, sorry. I'm assuming it's a heightened version of it, but it it just seems like an awful process. It's well, mostly it's mostly just a lot of fun. I I have a lot of fun doing ADR and and all sorts of voiceover work. I've I've always enjoyed that work, and uh, never really had a problem with like it is repetitive. You you mm-hmm. listen to the same scene over and over, and you say the same line over and over to make sure you got it right. And usually, you do more takes in a uh, a sound recording session than you do on set, uh, unless you're Stanley Kubrick. But uh, 
well, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure Jenner can speak to this, but uh, it's the reason it's Italian is that until recently the Italians didn't ever record sound on set. Correct. Because they usually had a multinational cast, and um, apparently historically it's because they inherited a lot of the old. Hollywood equipment when the, the Italian movie uh, movie system started up, which was way too damn loud to record sound near. So every single line had to be ADR'd and every single sound effect. effect. There was no boom mic on set when they did a lot of the filming. Yeah, leading to uh, the observation that I think I've actually made on this program before, or if not here, then certainly on Bastards, which is if you watch the English language uh uh, like the uh, dubbed versions of uh, most uh, Italian horror movies, the leads' lip movements will match. Uh, but if you watch the Italian version, uh, all of the supporting characters' lip movements will match. <laughs> it's really, it's really disorienting because you you feel like the sound is slightly off because sometimes it's in sync and sometimes it's completely random according to what the the lip flaps are doing and. Really throws you for a while. <laughs> and, and of course, really waiting for somebody to dig out some more documentation on Orson Welles's, you know, third or fourth career as a uh, uh, uncredited director of the English language movie, uh, versions of Italian movies uh, in Italy in the, uh, the uh, 50s, 60s, and 70s. Well, uh, does anybody have any final thoughts on Barbarian Sound Studio before we uh, take our break? Um, uh, I, I still continue to, to promote this guy, um, but it's, it's a bit of a lost effort because you can't get, it's, it's a movie that's impossible to spoil, except by saying that it's, <laughs> nothing's actually going to happen in it. And once you know viscerally that nothing's going to happen in it and you watch through it a second time, you can kind of appreciate what the story is doing. But it's a real hard sell to sell so to tell someone. Okay, you're gonna have to watch this movie twice. <laughs> yeah, no, I've, I've seen I've seen this movie twice, and it still hasn't been spoiled for me. Uh, so yeah. Uh, yeah, but I, mean, I I literally could not. I mean, this is the third or fourth time I've seen the movie. I literally could not have told you how the movie ends, and I made a point of remembering it this time. And we'll see how long it sticks in my head. <laughs> no, I I really like this movie. Uh, I can understand. Uh, I know no onus on those who did not. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, it even, just wasn't for me. <laughs> even even y'all have to acknowledge that it definitely shows the marks of an extremely talented uh, uh, filmmaker behind it. Uh, what whatever they uh, may have endeavored to use uh, that uh, talent in the service of in this instance. Um, but no, like I say, sign of uh, sign of, uh, of very good things to come which we will doubtless get back to in the second half. All right. Well, on that, uh, let's go ahead and take our break. Uh, we'll be right back. And 
we're back. Uh, next up, we've got a film with a bit more plot than the previous one. In oh, fabric. just a little. <laughs> <laughs> in Fabric, another surrealist tale, this time about a haunted dress and its hapless victims, the bizarre department store employees who are constantly speaking in riddles, and the poor sap who is forced to wear the dress at a stag party. Uh, who had this on their pile? I did. I had. Yeah, I had this on my pile. Yeah, I hadn't even heard of it. I, I went in. I literally didn't, didn't even read the Amazon plot description. Just, just went in cold. Yeah, I actually, uh, I actually bought this one offline, uh, off uh, Amazon, which I almost never do. Like, bought a physical copy to be sent to me from Amazon oh. because I couldn't find it anywhere for sale. Um, usually, I wait for these things to turn up in dollar bins and the like, but I wasn't going to wait on this one. And then it sat on my shelf for you know six months. So. <laughs> It's good to have it when you need it, uh, is mm -hmm. my general principle with a lot of stuff. But uh, I, I, I... Yeah, it was not on our pile. Um, we'd seen it, oh goodness, it was about six, six months six ago Six or eight or months ago, something like that. <clears throat> I remember telling Connie she had to see it. This is my best friend. And she was like, okay, yeah, this is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I liked this movie the first time that I saw it. I loved it uh, on, on this viewing. Um, it it makes me think of somebody doing a paraquel to roll dolls, the witches, but set in Argento's Three Mothers universe, but with a plot that was lifted from uh, one of the uh, uh, from one of the Amicus Portmanteau films from the early seventies. Hmm. Uh, there yeah. there there's a lot of stuff in here. I will yeah. say, uh, from the literally the first three frames of this film, I went, oh, it's a giallo. Yeah, because I have never seen a film start out more clearly as giallo than this one. Switchblade opens, starts opening a box. That there you go. Okay, we're we're in a giallo territory. <laughs> I thought the same I, thing. I, the, I, the immediately thought of uh, an Italian horror influence in the opening credits, with a, a heavy '70s influence in the design throughout. Mm -hmm. And and the soundtrack has a very uh, you know seventies you know Jalloish Morricone-ish quality to it as well. Actually, one thing that just occurred to me about Barbarian that I probably should have mentioned is the traditional black gloves normally worn by the killer in uh, in Jallo uh, uh, were only used to operate the projector in uh, Barbarian Sound Studio. But, and we uh, never saw the projectionist. But, and we yeah. never saw the projectionist. So that's uh, just an amusing little grace <laughs> note. But uh, in Fabric. Uh, definitely leans even further into that uh, specifically Italianate uh, horror influence, but also a lot of covert English horror influence as well, uh, not least for the setting. The, uh, the first time we see the dress uh, is absolutely gorgeous. There's an absolutely gorgeous shot of three mirrors, and Marianne Jean-Baptiste is... is looking at it but there are also two other sides which are split screens which eventually uh fade away and that entire composition just had me floored it, it was it was absolutely gorgeous yeah and it was so subtle i hadn't even noticed it the first time but i definitely noticed it uh uh, uh this time and th and different this, things are happening in the background of each mirror and it's it's just very very interesting you know th this is a physically really really beautiful movie um uh, like I say, this was uh, a uh, uh, more overtly funny, more overtly plot-driven, uh, but still, you know, just beautifully composed uh, kind of uh, capitalization on the promise that uh, that Strickland showed in *Barbarian Sound Studio*. Mm -hmm. it, it, yeah, it is just a physically beautiful movie. 
I, I will say, as someone whose favorite color is red, and like I, I borderline fetishize red things, this movie made me really uncomfortable. Uh, I, I, also say, I, 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 I like, I like this movie a lot. I never want to see this movie again. I watched, oh. I, I watched, I want to say, thirty-five movies this October for my Halloween marathon. Not a single one of those movies made me as uncomfortable and creeped out and scared as this movie. And I can't even really put my finger on why, because this isn't really that scary of a movie in, in a traditional way, but it gets under your skin. And it's, it's very unsettling uh, and creepy. It, you said it, skin, because, mm. you know, skin rashes. Well, mm. Yeah, I don't like it, those either. Portrayals of skin rashes, are, they, they will freak me out. And yeah, it did. But I didn't hate it. I liked it quite a lot. and was happy to watch it again. So did anyone... I've... Go ahead. Oh, something I've noticed about Peter Strickland's work uh, between this and Barbarian is that uh, almost every moment is tense, whether mm -hmm. it's the little stuff or the big stuff. There is an in incredible amount of tension in every scene that he composes. And uh, I, I think that would lend a lot to the uh, uncomfortable nature of the film. The horrific elements uh, are partially because of that. Yeah, there are a lot of aspects to this that reminded me of uh, one of my very favorite writers, uh, the uh, British author of Strange Stories, Robert Aikman, uh, who is notable for having written lots of stories where you're never quite sure exactly what it was that happened. But the way that it happened, whatever it was, really gets under your skin and kind of sticks with you. Uh, yeah, this this is a a deeply unsettling movie for uh, reasons that from moment to moment are apt to be very hard to put your finger on, and at the same time, it's really really funny. And at the same, yeah. uh, and even further, the relationship uh, or the relationships in the movies, uh, the movie are really really sharply observed as well. There there is a buffet of stuff going on in this movie. I think uh, I think the the humor can't be discounted because it seems to me like the central concept of the film being about a killer dress is so absurd <laughs> it's treated with absolute straight-faced seriousness throughout but what does the dress do well it kills several people and destroys washing machines <laughs> which <laughs> and, and it moves by itself too which looks kind of silly and I mean, it's a campy mm -hmm. premise at its, it's core, very but, but it yeah. doesn't feel like it when you're seeing what's going on. And, and maybe it suffocated a canary, or maybe it just scared the canary to death, or maybe it drains the canary's life like it did that bowl of fruit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's... What, whatever is the deal with the dress, there is something deeply, deeply wrong with the dress. This, this movie could have been called Death Dress. The dress that, yes. I don't, the dress that eats, it doesn't eat, but the, the dress, dress that, that kills. The dress I, that dresses? I actually had the same, the same thought uh, about uh, three quarters of the way through this, uh, this most recent Oh my god, this would, this would make an excellent pairing with deathbed you're yeah. right <laughs> that <laughs> well it's Our certainly Robert. more entertaining and uh absorbing than deathbed no oh you intended. bite your tongue <laughs> <laughs> i i've sat through deathbed i know what, I, I know what that movie's like oh, yeah. <laughs> oh I... i'm being eaten alive no, 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 I, I no, that's, I. That's something I, he I, actually I, he says it with that intonation as he's being eaten alive in deathbed. Oh. I remember that. I uh, I liked this a lot more than than Barbarian, uh, mostly oh, yeah. because of the plot. That that there was plot, there were plot elements, there were characters with growth uh, that 
were uh, that had actual backstories and interesting motivations, and they did stuff. Uh, I really liked Marianne Jean Baptiste. I, I loved uh, her son, their dynamic. I, I really thought that he that was, was so awful to her. He was, he was. He was. but it was obser- but it was observed so sharply. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Where yeah. do I know her from? Because I know- Fat Man. Sorry, <laughs> Fat Man. Marianne Jean Baptiste. With- you haven't seen Fat Man with uh, uh, Mel, Gibbs, Mel Gibson Mel Gibson as Santa Claus. Oh no, I haven't seen that yet. It's actually really, really good. Yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> I it's weird. I I feel like she was in a whole bunch of Doctor Who or something like that. But it, I'm looking over her her listing here, and I don't see any place I would have encountered her before. Secrets and Lies is where I know her from. Yeah, the Mike Lee film. The, the yeah. Cell. Hmm. Was she in the Cell? I haven't seen, I, I haven't seen the Cell, but it's on her. Uh, filmography. Really? Uh, yeah. She's she's a pretty reliable that lady. She's she's been around for quite a while now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think it was Secrets and Lies uh, that uh, that I first uh, spotted her as well. But yeah, just just rem- uh, you know, tremendously good actress. Uh, just a a beautiful performance of someone who is getting, as I said earlier, microaggressions from every conceivable direction. Uh, you know, oh, her bosses. Ah. Oh. Nightmare boss. Oh, the and everybody bosses. was into everybody's yeah. business. Were... Like I was like, ah. you see, that's that's one of the central things I'm saying that that really brings out that this is a comedy that they have this. It is funny, weird ass, surreal inter uh, employee interview and assessment in which they're noting down the color of the van in her dream. And it's <laughs> Weig- like, what Weig- color was what the van? The, what is it? The Weigman's <laughs> wavelength, or or whatever it is that yeah. with with that one icon that I want to pause uh, the, uh, uh, the the screen for just to read all of the stuff that is built into that <laughs> big circular mandala of uh, what constitutes the Weigman's wave. Uh, and they're, wavelength. they're criticizing her. And for all that. of the all of the stores and businesses had such British names, mm-hmm. like you know, Dentley and Soapers. You know, <laughs> yes. <laughs> And Weigman's wave—I don't remember what it was, but yeah—I I loved the bosses. I I thought that they were an incredible, uh, almost indictment of a consumerist society, which which yes. is very. There's an undercurrent of that with throughout the film. Uh, from, I think it's uh, actually pretty overt. Okay, uh, yeah, that's not that's not even an undercurrent. That's just a current. Oh, <laughs> um, uh, all the way up to the two ladies uh, beating the hell out of each other over uh, who gets to pay first. Um, but it's something uh, something that I found uh, I did not get at first that this was a comedy, and it wasn't until we found out the previous death, uh, the original model who wore the dress. We find out she was killed. Wait for it at a zebra crossing. A zebra <laughs> crossing. She was killed at a zebra crossing in the dress, and that's yeah. that was the first kill. That is when I realized this is a comedy because that is absurd. Well, the, um, the, wait, the, I'm sorry. You, well, no, you are no, aware that a zebra crossing a, is a crosswalk. Yeah, a, a zebra crossing in, is a crosswalk. That's what they call the striped lines on the pavement. Oh, Britain. is that? Oh. Yeah, she wasn't that, trampled yeah. I didn't to know death that by zebra. No, no, that, that oh. one actually, that one took me a second as well. I, no, I explained yes. it to you, my love. No, I, was getting, I was getting it right when you explained it to me. But no, at the same time, <laughs> so the, the, fact, the fact that they should lean into that in the first place, the fact that that detail is in there, and knowing that the film is going to be distributed internationally, mm. it, it, it's it, it's not the joke that we think it is, but it's still a joke. 
Um, <laughs> I mean, for me, it was the washing machine, which was simultaneously oh. hilarious and fucking terrifying. I don't that, know what it was about washing that washing machine. machine. Was terrifying. Yeah. It was scary, but it was also funny because it was just so over the top. But it just kept going and going and going, and just kept getting more and more weird as it kept moving. It, it was just so unsettling. It's so funny that it had its revenge on the washing machine repairman. <laughs> so I want to talk it was like about a targeted attack. <laughs> I want to talk about the washing machine repairman for yeah, a minute because, oh, because it's worth favorite. noting that this this movie basically is two stories uh, on the same theme, uh, with the split just a little over halfway through, and then we get to Reg speaks washing machine repairman. Mesmerizing mm-hmm. yes. washing machine. Repairman. So not not to uh, not to be not to put too fine a point on it. Um, Ridge was talking those women off, right? As was anyone else tell. getting? Yeah, yeah. That's uh, and... like women loved him because of his hypnotizing tech speak voice. Yes. Oh, and he. Was... I thought that was just the. He didn't know he was doing No, that. the first time he well, did it. I don't think but he was then, doing it deliberately. I think it's just a thing that happens when he talks about what he does. Well, except yeah. then he, the second time he does it, I think it was much more intentional, which makes me wonder, are we supposed to consider with the first woman who was plainly making a pass at him, was he actually cheating on his fiance <laughs> with her? Does that count? <laughs> Maybe I'm gonna say you know no, I, I'm gonna personally I, I, yeah I, I I don't think so I don't think he even knew what he was doing but apparently it worked for but you know I mean, he that, went that, and looked up some of the th- some of the terminology the wigwag things, things like the wigwag thing yeah and I was like there were several references to it in the movie but there was an actual uh, uh, Wikipedia Wikipedia entry. entry and it pretty much described that it was part of a whirlpool washer but that was the only reference to it so i wonder if somebody went into wikipedia a fan or maybe one of the people that worked on the movie and put it in last uh, last reference or uh, the last edit on that wikipedia entry was 11 months ago recall that this is a 2018 film um Mm. We we are still unconvinced uh, uh, whether or not uh, a, a wigwag uh, is a real thing in washing machines. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. It's pre- it has to be. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, uh, re- recall that the English have a game where a googly is a thing that can happen. Not just the English. That's cricket. <laughs> I actually had I actually had a my a South African friend explain cricket to me the other day. So now I theoretically understand cricket theoretically oh i try to play i i have a xbox game pass and there's a cricket game on there uh <laughs> i try to play i i have no idea what's going on i know there's a wicket you're supposed to knock it down you're supposed to run around bases i think but uh yeah was yeah. your wicket sticky <laughs> well no you can't have a sticky wicket i have no idea what that cheating. means <laughs> oh okay okay yeah i, I have I, I have a story about the I got a poster that had a whole bunch of like world cinema things you check off as you see each of them. And one of the movies on it was a Bollywood film called Lagan, which turns out to be uh, based on a historical event. But it is literally every underdog baseball movie made in the 80s in which the they just recreated an 80s baseball movie with cricket. You know, it's the the snobs who are the English who are. Uh, a Lagan is a tax who are charging this little no- nowhere in middle of nowhere town in India 
for the the yearly tax and they challenged them to a cricket game for the value of the of the taxation and the little village has to get together all the misfits you know they got the one guy who they make a fielder because he owns chickens and is having to constantly chase chickens around his backyard and they all bring their <laughs> unique skills to it and i'm like okay so this is just a baseball movie, but at least at the end of it, I will understand cricket. At the end of that movie, I had no idea what the fuck was going on. <laughs> I think that sorry, one might be on the pile now, but uh, even so. It was actually a good movie, but... Um... Yeah, we should definitely <clears throat> the, add that to the pile. Yeah, the, po the point is, there's yeah. a lot of weird terminology. Uh, in, in, uh, you can make up weird things, and maybe... Uh, uh, and you can... There, there should be a game where it's like, is this something the English actually say, or did we make it up? Um, <laughs> I know there's, there's lots of strange stuff in there, and there are also lots of you know strange parts to uh, a, a lot of you know esoteric or rarefied devices as well. So I'd allow for the possibility the wigwag is an actual thing. I'd allow for the possibility the wigwag is not an actual thing. Y'all Google it and make your own decisions, now, course, I say. Now, of course, one of the things that I notice about Reg Speaks is he mesmerizes himself when he goes on about uh, the, uh, the parts uh, as well. Uh, well basically, he's participating. He's, yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought he was droning on and they just liked it. Not that he was, that it was, you know. Intentionally sexual. Well, I like, <laughs> Yeah, I for some reason thought it was somehow like the magic of the dress reaching out and and doing something. I I, I didn't I I, didn't, I never got that he was talking them off. Although it makes more sense than the dress for whatever reason causing him to hypnotize people with his tech speak. Well, I now I I mean that's the thing is I think it may be an instance of uh basically two completely independent and unrelated supernatural things happening to go on at the same time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that makes sense. Which is how I thought. Yeah. 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 Uh, how did? Uh, I mean, if it's a world with haunted dresses, of course it has mesmer uh, mesmeric washing machine repairmen. <laughs> that just that just follows logically. How did everybody feel about the sponge bath scene? Ooh, I'm that... I'm in oh, I'm uh, uncomfortable. Yeah. I guess. I mean, you know, uh, that was that was a I mean, serious merkin. Is that yeah. the reason why this movie's NC-17? Because that's what it said when I popped it up on Amazon that it was I rated NC-17. That's the only thing I could think of that is objectionable, but I mean, it's pretty graphic, but it's also an inanimate object. So for for our listeners, uh, the scene is uh, the workers at the, the department dress store, shop. the dress shop, are giving a sponge bath to a nude mannequin, which has pubes and what looks like a, a fully working vagina, I guess. That That's menstruating. That's menstruating. <laughs> yes, and that's uh, menstruating. and then the only guy that works there, as far as I can tell, uh, masturbates to it. It's a very, it, it's a very off-putting and yet interesting scene. And I'm just wondering what, what everybody else's take is on it. I just thought it went so over the top. I mean, what with the slow-mo of the, White strings flying through the air. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I, 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 I just took it as uh, as a, a kind of you know broad pseudo transgressive uh, comedy. Yeah, that's the way I took it as well. I thought it was yeah. it was a additional punchline in the middle of all yeah. of this. It, it had so much muchness to it. I, I, I had to take it as a joke. <laughs> but all of the people in the in the um, department store 
were like aliens. I mean, they didn't speak yeah. like normal humans. It was beautiful. I loved the way they spoke it was and, and moved an and acted, accent, except for right? the guy. He was really well. The it looks like the, the actress playing her is named Fatma Mohammed, so it sounds like she's Romanian. I mean, if anyone talked to me like that while I was trying to buy a piece of clothing, I'd be like, "Get the fuck away from me!" <laughs> I'd be like, I, I, "I would be like, ma'am, this is a Target. Get away from me." <laughs> but they they spoke that way for the entire movie. And, and, was... and, and I love that nobody even it, that it was just a thing that was going on. Everybody uh, just responded to them as they as though they were speaking normally. Yeah, yeah, they just responded in... with their normal speech. If anyone if anyone actually spoke that way to me, I would go, "What? <laughs> Come again? Uh, yeah, that would. What do you mean? That, their their dialogue without subtitles would have been impossible to follow. It's I had to like, read that to figure okay. out what they were saying." I would have expected them to try but, to sell me some literature. <laughs> <laughs> but they did sound very alien, even though they were mm -hmm. using English words. They sounded like, you know, uh, an alien that landed on Earth and had no idea how to put words together. It, it's and like it got just, it went back and forth through um, Babblefish a few dozen times, and this was what yeah. you came out the other end with. You see, I always wanted to write a horror movie like that. You know, something that wasn't dubbed, but seemed like it was dubbed, but dubbed, you know, by somebody who didn't understand the language at all. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, just, you know, take a script, put it into Google Translate, into some other language like Russian, put it back through Google Translate, you know, put it through Google Translate again, et cetera, et cetera, until it's all, uh, well, you, you know, the word for, uh, that I always use for dialogue uh, that I like, uh, you know, the stuff that's, you know, heavy on the tongue, the toothsome stuff uh i i really really just as a thing in its own right love uh the dialogue from the uh, from the dentley and soper you know witches and uh and wi uh, man witch um, <laughs> <laughs> my man witch. Oh, okay. <laughs> slathered in slathered in his own mayonnaise but still yeah, um, <laughs> sorry sorry <laughs> My favorite bit of that was just the moment we get where he has that one customer in the leg lock, and he oh, yeah. that just, and all the other shoppers just sort of step around him and move along. And like I say, having gone through a lot of Black Fridays in retail, I, I mm -hmm. there there are parts of this movie that hit hard for me. <laughs> um, yeah, that riot. That, because that riot is like, yeah. I haven't seen that, but it's gotten close. <laughs> There's something oh, wow. magnificent about that riot in that this is ostensibly a horror film in a way. Mm -hmm. uh, and to have the, what is your, your ultimate, uh, what in a regular horror film would be your villain? Would be the witches, I would assume, that are running mm -hmm. this shop that's sending out dresses to people. But in this movie, they get taken out by a freaking riot of of sales hungry ladies who want nothing more than to purchase their items as quickly as possible and then just steal shit they just start yeah, taking they just start smashing displays and getting in and, there. and, and I mean, suddenly they, all of yeah. that frilly dialogue means nothing it's just yeah, the, the place starts catching on fire yeah, the, the the sales witches are are definitely the villains, but it's a very passive sort of villainy. They're not really doing anything except putting things out into the world that people wanted, uh, or thought that they wanted. Uh, I, I I did have one question: Why was the sales lady so upset that Babs was wearing the dress? I didn't really understand that. It's not supposed to come back. Yeah, oh, just they, the fact that they it was put in the it store. out there. 
they put it out. They they put this evil out there. They don't want it themselves. Yeah, and, and look what ha- and look what happened. Uh, you know, and, and right, it burnt down their store. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, I guess I didn't catch yeah. that. Yeah, they they created a th- or or they distributed a thing of malevolence, but they themselves were not you know exempt from uh, receiving it if they happened to be in the vicinity. I did like that. Uh, uh, I like how the dress intentionally burned the store down. Like the dress in and of itself was a character. It, oh, it was, absolutely. Oh, yeah. And uh, it did a very good job of convincing me that it was a scary dress that was going to kill people. I was <laughs> I shocked. Have, I have to. Uh, I was I was shocked when uh, Marianne Jean Baptiste died in a car crash because of that thing. I yeah. did not yeah, see but that see, coming. Did it? Did it die? Oh, oh, she put it in a trunk. But see, then the mannequin was what kind of killed her. Yeah. Not the dress. But I think yeah. that was she the dress wearing influence. it, but she was trying to give it away. Yeah. In this case, I think correlation uh, is causation, uh, or well, at least a, a strong argument for causation. It's also it's also a little bit of a psycho moment because I thought we were going to be staying with her for the whole film. Yeah, so, yeah did, so I. did I. I did yeah. not expect her to to exit midway through. I mean, it's not it's not psycho in that it's first twenty minutes, but about midpoint of the film, suddenly she's out the door and we're on to the next person. I have to say, I. As much as they did an excellent job making this a scary dress that kills people, there is something also inherently hilarious about the couple of moments where the dress is looming over people as they sleep, and it's plainly just ha- on a hanger. I but at the that. same time, <laughs> at the same time, most of those were just beautiful shots. They were, but it is still inherently hilarious. Yeah, I mean, it's also when the, when the dress like scooches under the door. That's always funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and when the when it when it attacks them, it, 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 they basically they're just dropping it, yeah. and it floats down onto them. I was so. I was also, really I, hoping. I I was hoping for a Leslie Nielsen moment of fighting with an inanimate object. <laughs> that would no, been uh, but uh, again, even the dress attack shots. And yeah, saying it, it sounds absolutely uh, absurd, but good lord, they're beautifully shot. Like the bit where mm. it tries to, uh, uh, I guess, uh, suffocate Gwendolyn Christie. Uh, again, Gwendolyn frickin' Christie is in this movie, and it took two scenes uh, the first time that I saw her before I realized that it was her, even having seen her name in the credits. Uh, but uh, Yeah, she is super hot in this. Yeah, I did not recognize I mean... her at first. I did not. Hmm. No, but again, ma- making a, a a serious impression as another in the parade of people who are making either you know overt passive aggression or active aggression uh, on uh, uh, poor Sheila in this movie. Um, no, she- Sheila g- gets a bad lot, especially since things were starting to look up because her relationship with Zach, or at least what we saw of it, was actually really kind of beautifully done. Yeah. I really, but I, I want to talk about Adonis. I really like. Oh, them. I really, I really like them as a couple. But good lord, Adonis! One, I, I, I like that it sets us up to expect that that's uh, the name that he's using for his Lonely Hearts ad, as opposed to his actual name. But it turns out, no, it's that's his actual name, which is a thing. <laughs> and he, he, he has other dates, a and he can slot bug her in. in the middle of a restaurant. A stink bug. That was... Yeah, <laughs> nobody I... reacted though. Uh, that was just a, a a beautifully horrible date. <laughs> yeah, I have to say this, that bit in particular is the reason my wife. I will never have my wife watch this movie. She has too much uh, sympathetic embarrassment. She can't watch scenes of people being embarrassed. So that date alone would have just been utterly cringeworthy for her. It got yeah. me, and I'm I'm not nearly as susceptible. <laughs> 
<laughs> I understand. I and I get that too, but um, I don't know. I just I get maybe it's because I'd seen it before. Hmm. But yeah, he was horrible. Yeah, he was awful. <laughs> but that was the nice thing is that they did the same date in the same restaurant at the same table, same positions, and then they had that sort of with the same joke uh, about same, the pudding. Yeah, same coupon. Yeah, yeah. The same book. Yeah, same coupons. Yeah, and but. Zach's reactions to uh, to everything that sh- that Sheila talks about, or his his lack, you know, the way he listens to her and everything like that. It, it was such a nice balance. It's like, oh, thank goodness. I mean, <laughs> I yeah. guess we had to see, you know, the terrible guy, and then really appreciate that Zach was great. So making it just that much more shocking when uh, uh, when uh, Sheila dies in the uh, in the in the car crash. Um, yeah, like five minutes later. Yeah, yeah. five minutes later. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but you know, it was a lovely relationship while it lasted. A lot more functional than uh, than uh, Vince and Gwen. Uh, certainly a lot more functional than <laughs> Sheila and Adonis. Um, and well, arguably more functional than um, um, Reg and Babs. Although Reg and Babs actually have a really lived-in dynamic between the two of them as well. Oh, yeah. they have a great sex scene, too. Yeah. <laughs> he's just like oh. just having a conversation while he's just pumping on top of her. <laughs> See, he should have but spoken you know, to I her. Liked, I liked them that though. I mean, I really did. They, you could tell that they cared a lot for each other and and wanted to make each other happy. That they'd just been together so long. Yeah, the so. the scene where they cuddled was really touching. I thought. Yeah. 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 No, it's like I say. This is a movie that observes uh, relationship because. I'm not sure if Stash and Clive are openly together or covertly together or just no, nobody cares, but they're actually a really interesting couple in their own right. They definitely, you know, however they may uh, put themselves out into the world around them, they are definitely deeply, deeply simpatico. Hmm. <laughs> and uh, I guess it's uh, Stash is the one with the uh, freaking amazing teeth. Um, so, <laughs> but yeah, you know, his vocal delivery, I want that guy doing audiobooks. Um. <laughs> all right well it's it's about that time uh anybody have final thoughts they want to share on uh in fabric um very briefly just a question of what everyone thought about the final concluding moments of the film after the fire takes down the store and we see where that dumbwaiter goes every night Love I it. was perfect. I mean, it was cool i mean is she like the devil dragging them down to hell or something I mean they're all making dresses out of their blood apparently yeah it felt like purgatory in a way mm-hmm. yeah I, I i'm not sure what it was but i do know I, the one thing that i noted is that there were a whole lot of empty that, that's yeah. the bit that them. really stuck with so, me there that the dress was not done and and uh the lady the the mannequin lady or whatever <laughs> the lady with the mannequin she uh she smiled she was happy seeing those empty seats like I don't yeah, know. So much. happy that they were empty, or she was uh, happy that they were going to not be empty for long. Yeah, I, mean, I, I would tend, I would tend to favor the, the latter. <laughs> no, the uh, that 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 <laughs> I did too. Really. That is a very solid, chilling note to end the movie on. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, no, I, I, did, I really love that bit. What did you say, Shane? Oh, the, yeah, the, the fireman finds the dress at the end, so it's definitely yeah. not done. I mean, we end yeah. right on that shot of him picking up the completely untarnished dress in the middle of all this burnt rubble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that bit is a little bit obvious, but again, it's it's classical. Again, this yeah. aside from having the uh, the Italian horror trappings, this has a very you know EC 
amicus anthology quality going on under the hood as well, uh, mirrored in the uh, the timing of the setting as much as anything else. Um, but yeah, no, there 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 is a lot of uh, of uh, classic horror DNA in this movie. But the movie itself is absolutely and resolutely and beautifully its own thing. It is never what you expect from moment to moment. Um, I don't know. I can't wait to see this guy's next movie. Yeah. All right. Well, on that, uh, that's going to do it for us here on What's on the Pile. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at What's on the Pile, or you can visit our website, whatsonthepile.com. Thanks for hanging out. Turns out they're more closely related to uh, cacti than, uh, you know, the earth primates, but... Deep in the forgotten corners of our galaxy, a mighty space hulk blazes through the stars. Its crew, a motley gang of misfits who are just out for a good time. He's sparking for fuck's sake. They have harnessed the mysterious fuel called Nostalgia. And we're off, alright. By remembering the cartoons of their youth. Now, standing in their way, the evil Emperor Sorbak. Stand down, Who just wants to shut their screw down and conquer every planet along the way. <laughs> Thankfully, their ship holds a weapon with enough firepower to restore the balance. Yes, you neglected the anime space cannon. They are. The Bastards of the Universe. I think you know damn well who we are. Thursdays at 8. Let's cast this pod. Only on Twitch.